All right. Hello and welcome back to Real Seekers. I'm your host, Dale the Real Seeker. And today uh, we've got a, a special treat for you guys. We've got a, a few guests. But uh, just before I get into that, I'm joined by my co-host, Tyler Fowler from Faith Unaltered. Hey, Tyler. What's up, um, yeah, let, let me, I always skip over you guys, but let me give you a chance to, to speak. Are there any um, exciting announcements in terms of Faith Unaltered or anything you want to say? Yeah, so we've got a good episode uh, tomorrow with uh, one of my friends from TikTok. So uh, God's Forgiven Soldier is the name you can look him up by. And we're going to be talking about uh, the thesis, Should Christians Abstain from Alcohol? And so I think since David makes wine, right, David Russell, our other co-host, um, I think I thought that would be a good discussion uh, between them two. So I met Jason on TikTok. Uh, that's his real name for those interested. Uh, but uh, met him on TikTok, and he's got some pretty good content, though we happen to disagree uh, on this subject. And then May 12th, as you know, Dale, uh, we're having our orthodoxy episode, uh, 7 p.m., and then the uh, abstaining from alcohol, that's 7 p.m. tomorrow night, uh, Eastern time for those uh, interested. And then next week, May 12th, we've got the Orthodoxy episode. May 19th, we've got the Protestant episode. And all those are at 7 p.m. Eastern. So, yeah, I think we got a, a host of good shows coming up. And then the Friday after that, so the 26th, we're doing drug testimonies with another TikTok friend of mine. And so I thought, you know, we related on that subject, as you guys know, or well, Dell, as you know, uh, I don't know if our guests do or not. Um, and those at Faith and Altar, uh, they know that I used to be really, really bad on drugs. And uh, the Lord saved me uh, from that, amongst many, many other things. And so that's the uh, exciting announcements we've got on uh, Faith Unaltered. But I appreciate you having me on, and I'm excited to talk about hell uh, this evening, or this afternoon. So thanks. Awesome. Awesome. And joining me, uh, a couple uh, people who are no strangers to the show. We have uh, Omar Fakuri there. Hey, Omar, how's it going? Hey, Dale. What have, uh, what have you been up to uh, since you've been on the show last Oh, it's just been uh, a lot of this and that. Nothing, um, nothing pretty intense. Just, nope. uh, just the daily grind of life. Awesome, awesome. All right, cool. And also, we have uh, David Kemble Cook as well. So, hey there, David. Uh, what's what's new with you since you were on the show last? Hi there. Well, um, uh, same old, same old. Mostly, uh, my my I teach in a school, and my my students are coming up to their exams. And uh, they're all working hard, which is wonderful and a great change <laughs> for some of them. But uh, that's good. Also, my uh, my younger brother is in hospital down in Chichester, and so we've uh, I and his other brother have been going out down to um, see him and to try to find homes for his cats. He has six cats. <laughs> so um, so we've been catching cats and taking them to rescues and things like that so um but yeah so but uh, so that's mostly done now so so it's doing very good good about that sounds good sounds good just so you know david you're, you're a little bit scratchy uh some people are right i don't know if you can just fix that a bit but can i yeah, turn up uh, my my volume yeah just yeah it was a bit scratchy so i don't know if you're rubbing the microphone or something just okay. That but sounds yeah, better. Uh, that right there, yeah. Yeah. It might be rubbing against your shirt a little bit. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, All right. Right on. Okay. okay. Oh, is he able to hear us now? Or? Can you hear us? 
Oh, we can't hear you now. Can't hear you. Oh, you have to put it back on. <laughs> That's okay. Yeah, just. Uh oh. Yeah, just put your put your uh, put the same thing back on. We'll put up with the the scratching, but. All right. Well, well, well I like Omar you... playing charades over there. I'm trying that. to trying to <laughs> put put yeah. it back on. Yeah. Well, while while he's figuring that there you out, go. he's got it. He's doing it. Okay. Okay. Go ahead, Dale. Can you hear? Can uh, you hear now us? you can hear us. Oh, uh, unmute yourself, David. So he lost your audio. Well, he's muted. Oh, he's muted. He is. Oh, uh, unmute. Oh, can you do that? So because uh, no, he's muted himself. So okay. So okay. So we'll we'll figure that out. But okay, just yeah. for oh, the audience watching. Uh, perfect. So he's unmuted. So today's topic is hell. And this is a topic that both Omar and David Kemble Cook have raised as issues and that sort of thing. Um, as well, out in the audience, uh, we probably have the famous pro shroud expert, Joe Marino, who specifically wanted me to do a show. And he, he said he's going to be contributing in the, the live chat a bit. So we'll get to his comments at the end. But um, just uh, in terms of today's topic, obviously we want to address what are some of the objections that both David and Omar have about hell? Is it some immoral Christian teaching and that sort of thing? So uh, I just want to first give it over to you, Omar. Um, you know, what, what's your take on the Christian notion of hell? Why do well, you there are so many different ideas about hell. I've run into a lot of different conceptions. So can you put out your thesis on what hell is so that I, I know if I even disagree with you. Sure. Well, and me and Tyler, we were speaking before the show. We we do have slightly different well, versions. Of, then. Yeah, go ahead. Um, okay. It, do you, just out of curiosity, though, do you, do you only have problems with specific versions of hell versus others? or No, because the, I'll just uh, throw out really quickly that hell ties in with the general problem of suffering. Right? Okay. The two kind of go together. So it's it's a conjoint issue. I don't think you can really separate the two completely. Okay. But, I mean, like I've heard someone, uh, one fellow, describe uh, hell as being a psychic state that uh, you know souls are thrown into for eternity. It's not uh, hellfire and brimstone and torture. Other people say yes, the hellfire and torture are all real. Um, you know, I don't know if we should even bother bringing up purgatory. Um, but, uh, what, what is, what's your idea of hell then? Okay. So just very briefly, uh, my idea, and then I'll give it to Tyler to kind of sure. outline what his notion is just so we know. Mm -hmm. so, so my notion of hell, it's kind of like C.S. Lewis's, uh, the Protestant version. Basically it's spiritual death. What is spiritual death? It is relational separation from God. Mm -hmm. And that is self-chosen our, on our part. Um, so we will experience eternal conscious torment, not torture, but torment that's inflicted upon, upon us because of our choice to not be redeemed from our sins, to not live really in relationship with God for eternity. So mm -hmm. there is torment. It is a, a, a place, um, a literal place that we go where we are separated relationally from God. So that's my, what I think mm -hmm. hell is. Tyler, what's what's your? I take? mean, I don't 
think I would have a, any disagreements with what you just said, the way you described it, Dale, we were talking earlier and just real quick. So you, uh, Omar, you had mentioned purgatory. I think this is just my opinion. We can talk about it if you guys want to, but given that purgatory is more of an intermediate state, whereas hell or Gehenna as it's uh, referred to in the Bible is more so this after judgment final, uh, place for, uh, the reprobate or the damned or those who do not believe in Christ. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, they're two different concepts, right? And so if we want to just stick with hell as in Gehenna, the lake of fire, we can do that, or we can talk about the intermediate status too, but I would make that distinction first and foremost. Uh, but no, uh, the only thing that, you know, Dell and I were really talking about is this concept of whether it's a place or not. And I was just telling Dell that, you know, Matthew uh, 10, 28, I believe it is, speaks of uh, Jesus is telling his disciples, you know, don't fear man for they can only destroy the body, but fear God who can destroy both body and soul mm -hmm. in Gehenna. Right. And so given that, you know, we believe that there's going to be a bodily resurrection of mm -hmm. the dead, it seems like in some way, if we, even if we can't describe it, you know, fully, um, in some way it's got to be physical in, in, in some sense. And so, that that's what uh that's how I would describe it, but I agree with Dale, uh, with what he said there. Mm -hmm. Cool. So so yeah, Omar, if you want to, given that you now know where we're kind of coming from, do you, right. you want to lay right. out your take, maybe some objections before we go to David and get his take? Yeah. Um. Well, okay. There's objections. Uh, we could put them in two broad camps. One set of objections is based on the historical context and the history of Judeo-Christianity. And then the other is just on purely uh, philosophical grounds. So which one or both, what do you want to hear? Um, yeah, if you, if you briefly. Okay, briefly. Yeah, so, both, do both. <laughs> okay. So philosophical grounds is, okay, um, you know, let's say that I create a game, football, and I've created a game, I've created rules for the game, I've created a system of rewards and punishments, and I have uh, put players in the game. I've brought players and airdropped them into the game. Now, what is my knowing the game, knowing the end results, knowing what you know what gen, even just generally speaking what will happen in this game what is my responsibility in the game do i not share a responsibility so you know we have a world it has natural laws it has spiritual laws it has beings living in it and it's presumably created by god god knows that man before he even creates man he knows man's going to have a nature to sin he knows what sin is, and he knows what the punishment is. So he has set up the game basically with a practical guarantee that a large volume of people will lose. And you even look in the in the New Testament where Jesus says that, you know, many are called and few are chosen. Wide is the path to destruction. Narrow is the gate to life. So not only will many people lose, but most people will. So what... How does that jive with God being all merciful and just? You know, is it just to 
give persons or people an eternal punishment for a finite set of crimes. Now, I, you know, crimes loosely. Um, now, I understand your position is a more subtle position than it's like tit for tat, right? Because a, a person's in a state of consciousness or a state of being, and that essentially becomes fixed at the time of death, and then you're just too bad you're stuck there. But it still doesn't absolve the problem that God knows that this will happen beforehand. So he's created beings that are not army soldiers and toys. They are sentient. And my belief is that if you create a sentient being like a parent having a child, you immediately have a responsibility. You don't get to absolve yourself by saying, well, I'm God, I can do what I want. Well, no, you gave sentience to beings and you gave them self-awareness. And that means that either if you believe in an eternal hell, then God is either an absolute sadist or there's a problem with the notion of hell. That's philosophical grounds. Historical grounds, <clears throat> you know, um, Judaism didn't believe in hell. Jews did not believe in hell initially. They didn't believe in any kind of afterlife. The soul was the breath of life enmeshed in the body. Uh, when the body dissolved, the soul disappeared. And the only thing that they had was Sheol. And Sheol just meant darkness, the pit, the grave, nothingness. It was a term for nothingness or non-being. And when you die and you go to Sheol, you're unrecoverable. And even God doesn't remember that you're there. I believe there's a statement in Psalms or something that says God doesn't even remember the beings that are in Sheol because you're non-existent. And it was only a couple of hundred years before the advent of Jesus that Jews started developing a concept of an afterlife. And they had, um, you know, they developed the idea that... Um, you know, okay, well, we've been suffering and suffering and toiling and our enemies have been beating us down for 800 years now. And we want something for following the law. And so then they started having the idea of the resurrection, uh, the bodily resurrection after death for the just and the chosen. And they would be resurrected and there would be a kingdom of God on earth that would be glorified and they would live there for eternity on earth. Then after that, the idea started developing sometime around Daniel that, um, okay, well, along with the just, the unjust will be resurrected and they will be annihilated. They'll be destroyed. They'll be thrown out of all existence and just cast into total non-existence. And this was the apocalyptic Jewish view that uh, Jesus himself held. And that people of his day and his time, the Jews of his time, understood. And if Jew Jesus had intended to change something, he really should have said it. But he didn't. He never made any express statements about an eternal hell. He said that the fire is eternal. But he talks about people being thrown into the fire and being annihilated. Gehenna is translated as hell starting a couple of few hundred years after Jesus, but Gehenna was just a 
location right outside of Jerusalem, which was a very shameful place that Jews wouldn't be caught dead in, literally, uh, because uh, in previous generations, Jews had practiced child sacrifice to uh, Moloch or some god of, of the time. They had sacrificed their own children there. Now, if you even step foot in Gehenna, you're just tainted for life. And people who were um, criminals, people who were outcasted, their bodies were thrown into Gehenna at death. And when Jesus was talking about being cast into Gehenna, he was talking about being shamed at death by not having a proper burial. Because in the ancient world, everybody, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Greeks, everyone wanted a proper burial and funeral. That was the last goodbye to you on earth, and they wanted to be remembered well. And if you were just thrown into a garbage pit, essentially, that was the biggest shame you could face. So, you know, Jesus does not actually mention any explicit statement himself about hell, eternal suffering, eternal torment. He says there will be annihilation for the wicked or for the non-believers or the wicked, and there will be eternal life you know, in the kingdom of heaven on earth, which is what the apocalyptic Jews believe. They believe in a bodily resurrection, a glorification of the body, and then a kingdom uh, on earth, on earth as it is in heaven, uh, paralleled perfectly with the kingdom of heaven. Then as the Greek and Hellenistic influence started seeping into the Jewish culture by the inculcation of so many pagans and Jews into Christianity, uh, sorry, uh, pagans and Greeks into Christianity and Romans far outnumber the Jews who are becoming Christians. The I platonic idea of an eternal soul started coming into Christianity. And they said, well, you've got an eternal soul. It has to go somewhere. It has to do something. So then we start developing the idea of actually going to heaven to be with God. And uh, then its soul that is eternal can go to hell and stay there eternally and suffer. And as the Christians were being persecuted and tormented and suffering, it became a, uh, a, a desirable idea to see your enemies and the enemies of Christ thrown into this hell for eternity and suffering there for eternity in uh, basically Tartarus or whatever Plato referred to as hell. So there is a clear evolution of the idea from nothing after death to a spiritual heaven and hell that a person goes to and stays in for eternity. But I don't think that, uh, I think that Jesus was around the middle of that line with what he believed. And the later ideas of eternal torment and hell are something that was uh, invented by the church fathers later on. And there, that's my my big spiel. All right, awesome. Uh, so yeah, at this point, I want to turn it over to to David. He's been sitting there uh, patiently this whole time. So yeah, well, like what- Sorry what for you... talking too long, but- <laughs> No, no. Oh, thank you for that, Omar. I think that was really helpful. Awesome. Yeah. What, well, what's your take, David, on how, what, what kind of objections do you have against it? Well, um, yeah, I just want to really, Omar's really said, most of what I wanted to say. So 
<laughs> yeah, Omar, we, we, we're um, we're thinking along the same lines here, and mm -hmm. uh, um, I, I must say that I, I'm a, a recently deconstructed Christian, so uh, yeah. I, I especially have views that I held was holding on my way out of Christianity. But uh, I think for about ten years now, I uh, even t longer than that, twelve years, I I, I was a, an annihilationist, like. Um, so, like, according to the views that, oh my, that you were you were expressing there, the annihilationist view or the conditional mm -hmm. mortality view is the view that, uh, on in a Christian context, that uh, that hell consists in destruction, annihilation of the person, and that immortality is only given to to the saved, if you like. Mm -hmm. And uh, and I've got here in front of me the. The seminal article by Edward Fudge. I don't know if anyone has, has heard of him, hmm. but he's he's the person who, in the context of Christianity, really started Christians thinking again about hell. Because I think, as Omar, you've been saying, and and uh, and Dale and Tyler, I've uh, been I've been rehearsing this concept. The the idea of hell has been uh, eternal something, you know. Uh, torment is usually the the mainstream view uh, for the unsaved and that's been pretty much the mainstream doctrine ever since the time that Omar was talking about all the way to the present day so that would be well over a thousand years but um in in a so uh, I don't know Omar have you heard of Edward Fudge no okay right um, I have okay Tyler has yes yeah. okay so uh, you've you're um You've heard of his work on this, then I can share my screen just to show you the, this article if you like to see it. If you, I'm allowed to do that, please. But, yep. Uh, do you know? So I don't know. Do you know how to do it, David? So you see the present button at the bottom. Yeah. And then click share screen on okay. of the, and okay. then it'll pop up a window. Okay. So um, make sure you have highlight like okay. what you want to share, and then here we are. This. All right, so I'm bringing it up. So we can see here. Yep. So this is his article in the Journal of uh, Evangelical uh, Something Society, <laughs> mm -hmm. September 1984. But um, this was, I think, uh, Evangelical Theological Society. Journal. Theological, thank you. That's the T. That's the T. So uh, he, is the, the, he puts forth biblical evidence for as he says here, the wicked's final total destruction rather than the traditional view of unending conscious torture, which sprang from pagan platonic theories of immortal indestructible souls. And uh, so he's been around obviously since then, but then um, a man called Chris Date, uh, among others, took up this and uh, got a, started a, um, how do I switch off the, um, Oh, stop sharing. Yeah. So yeah. A, 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 a society or a website called Rethinking Hell, which has gained quite a following. And Chris Date has come on programs like Unbelievable, uh, which you may know about, and, and debated traditional uh, advocates or advocates of the traditional view of hell. We hosted and Chris Date debating uh, a traditionalist one time. So not to interrupt, David, yeah. but if yeah. you're interested, you should check that one out, too. Sorry, uh, where was that, uh, Tyler? I said if you're interested, you should check uh, that debate out as well. So 
Which which debate was that? Well, uh, we hosted a debate on on my old podcast called The Complete Center's Guide between Chris Date and Ross Burns. And All so right, if people okay. want to find that, uh, I can link you to it. I'll have Dell send you an email of it. Or yeah. Yeah, now I'll post just for the audience, I'll post that in the blogs along yes. with uh, I have debated Chris Date on this topic. Okay. All right, then. So, Dale and Tyler, how do you think you did? <laughs> oh, I moderated. You moderated. So, <laughs> you're, I you're, said you're, to me, Chris. <laughs> your hands were clean. <laughs> well, it, Tyler, in your unbiased view as moderator, how do you think... Um, how do you think the yeah. debate went? So I'll tell you guys what I told Dell, and you might be surprised by this, actually. So Chris Date had me convinced of annihilationism right. uh, back in my Protestant days. And so I, I'm still, given that I'm uh, investigating orthodoxy and haven't, there's been a couple more primary topics. I've been investigating this about two months now. And so I haven't got to their understanding of hell just yet. Um, but once I do, I'll be happy to come back on and let you all know uh, more about that. But yeah, if uh, if anything, I would say that, you know, right now where I'm at, uh, I would lean annihilationist uh, over universalism and then I'm open to eternal conscious torment. So. So. Uh, so you're saying, Tyler, that you were um, you said you were convinced for annihilationism. Yeah, I think his arguments are really uh, yeah. uh, biblically sound. Yes. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and for what you know, Omar was saying, pointing out that the word Gehenna, which I've got here, um, is used for hell 12 times in the, or rather, the word Gehenna is translated as hell in our New Testaments 12 times. Mm -hmm. uh, but the other word is Hades, which is more like the, the Hebrew Sheol. Mm -hmm. Is not uh, Hades a Greek word? Hades mm -hmm. is the Greek word, yes. But that's yeah. the, that's oh, that's the, the translation. That's the translation. Yeah. So, so we've got the we've got um, the Greek word which which transliterates Gehenna, which is Gina or something like that, and uh, which we recognise as Gehenna. And then there's also Hades, but in our English translations, both those words, both those Greek words, are translated as hell. Yeah, are rendered as hell. So that obliterates a distinction which might well be there in the original text, you know, in the author's minds. And uh, and 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 the Matthew ten twenty eight that uh, one of you guys quoted, fear not, or was it Omar? Was that you? That was no, me, Tyler. Yeah. So Matthew ten twenty eight mm -hmm. is uh, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell, and and that's Gehenna. That's the that's the Greek word being used. So obviously um, the Aramaic original of, you know, whatever Jesus is supposed to have been saying refers to a place of destruction, mm -hmm. as is clear from what the verse says. So, yeah, I, and well, I'd be like to listen to that debate, but certainly. And when I heard, I think Chris Date has been on Unbelievable, which you probably know, I think two or three times now. And every time I think I've been pressed by his arguments and really his, his opponent, who was, uh, I think uh, one time he was a, uh, one of them was a, a professor at a, a, one of the seminaries that you have, Baptist seminary or somewhere like that. Um, really, all he could really say is, well, yes, but the traditional view is this eternal conscious torment. And that's all he could, you know, base his claim on in, in the end, because I think the biblical arguments that Chris put forward, which, you know, are not his alone, but as I said, 
um, come from Edward Fudge are, are uh, very strong. So if we're just staying within Christianity, I think there's a strong case for saying let's realize the mainstream view uh, away from from the eternal conscious torment. Dale, you didn't say how you um, have, have you, you, you encountered Date. Were you debating him or were you moderating? Yeah, so it was on uh, a skeptic, an old uh, Skeptics and Seekers episode. I was with David Russell oh. and we kind of uh, tag, tag teamed and we're discussing our views, eternal conscious torment versus his. Um, yeah, I, I was not persuaded. I get that this is his area of specialization and stuff, and he has some interesting points that you need to look into, but I, I'm still not persuaded that annihilationism is true, um, both scripturally and philosophically. I think it negates justice uh, to think that annihilationism is true yeah. as, yeah, so. Okay. Well, with regard to justice, then I, I, I get on to uh, Omar's first point there. So, Omar, you and I are, are, are at one on this. Mm -hmm. And I like, your, I like your analogy of a game, really. Um, it's a system. It's a type it's a, of system. Yeah. I mean, so this is the system that we're in. Yeah. Yes. And, and uh, if, if um, we stay philosophical about this, then the mainstream, we, if we accept the mainstream Christian idea that God is omniscient, that is all knowing, about the future, which is a traditional view. Mm -hmm. And also, of course, that God is the creator of everything, which he is the author, then uh, in, in, a, in, um, in, in then a very real sense, God creates knowing everything that is going to happen, including all the free will decisions of his creatures. So as you said, Omar, with the game, he sets it up. Right. And, and even, if we, even if we bypass that level of granularity, because there are people, then the free will argument comes in. Well, how do you have free will if God knows what you're going to do? Even propositionally, if God knows what's going to happen, he still created it and set it up that way. Can I ask a clarifying question to both of you guys real quick? Mm -hmm. So would you say that knowing is the same thing as causing? Would you say that those two are synonymous or that uh, one follows from the other? Well, then you would have different kinds of cause, right? I mean, <clears throat> if I know that I set up a game of soccer so that the team that scores the most points wins and they get the trophy and the team that doesn't score the most points, you know, gets gasoline dumped on them and they get lit on fire. I wouldn't then, play soccer. <laughs> <laughs> I might not have made one team. Yeah, but you don't get a choice. We're all playing soccer right now. Mm. So um, if um, <clears throat> knowing that those are the repercussions and then someone's going to get one and someone's going to get the other, whether mm. I physically took someone's hands and feet and moved them around and made them do it, or whether I threw them into a situation where the outcome is inevitable, mm -hmm. Then and I know that's the outcome, and I have set it up that way. Then that's also a form of cause. Okay. okay. Yeah, I think David, what do you? Uh, yes, you that's right. Uh, Omar's right. There are different causes there. You know, you can think of a whole chain of causes. Mm. But but the Christian view is that God was created everything in the beginning. So if like God is the first cause of everything. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're the first cause of everything, and you know 
everything that will happen as a result of what you did on that day when you created, mm -hmm. then you are, in, in a sense, real sense, responsible for what happens. Okay. Because you created it because knowing you... exactly. And, and we, we've talked about this yeah. when we talked about the problem of evil haven't we because it's it's a parallel argument really it's an right. argument from justice but it's the parallel argument god put adam and eve in the garden knowing he put say he created satan too and he know, knew full well before he put them in the garden that satan would tempt adam and eve and cause the fall bring sin in the world evil and all that so god is responsible as far as i can see for the evil in the world likewise God is responsible for um, for all the decisions and the actions of his creatures. Obviously, there are intermediate causes going on, but uh, but God knows everything when he created. Uh, so, you know, we, there are verses in the Bible, aren't there, that talk about, uh, I knew you before you were in the womb or when you were in the womb. That's about Jeremiah. And yeah. also there's a psalm that talks, Psalm 139, I think. But God, this is a traditional view of God. God knows absolutely everything that will happen right. and what people will do. So I, I say, along with Omar, um, where's the justice? If you're going to, and we agree also, Omar, that mm -hmm. the vast majority won't make it. Right. You know, many are called, but few are chosen. If you think about all the the, the millions that lived before Christ and then the, the vast majority of humanity on earth even today uh, may not have heard of Christ, then um, it's a small minority that make it. So the vast majority uh, are condemned through no fault of their own, as it were, because of the decisions of God in creation. So um, we see that as, uh, I see that as unjust. Uh, of course, if you're a Calvinist, then you'd say, well, you know, uh, that, that's, just, that's just it. And God does that for his glory. And you've probably debated that issue, Tyler and Dale, when you've had the various Calvinists on your shows. But no, no. So if we had a uh, Carlton, Carlton could come on and, and tell us. <laughs> yeah. Um, can, can tell us that uh, or give us the, the, the view there. Yeah. But um, as none of us are Calvinists, then we 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 agree that our own idea of morality uh, concords with the nature of god that we believe that being creatures of god uh, our moral nature and our rational nature are made in the image of god and that our moral intuitions are based upon those of god that's how we believe in a absolute morality because uh, we believe that we're made in god's image and that when we think that something is wrong absolutely wrong or absolutely good that's because we're created in the image of God and we understand it that way. And according to then fairness and justice, then uh, su such actions are unjust, condemning the vast majority for what is not their fault. And uh, if, you, if, you, if we come back on that, I would say that just read the Bible and all through the Old Testament, the God is portrayed as a God of justice and fairness. And I've had this argument with people about, oh, yeah, but God's standards are different from ours. You know, you know, God's standards of, of justice and goodness and morality are different from ours. And I, and I say then, well, read your Bible, read the Old Testament, because God sets up, defines justice. I am righteous, you know, Zedek. And, I, and 
that righteousness is defined the way that we understand righteousness and justice, which is fairness, you know, um, uneven scales, weighted scales, I abhor, yeah? Justice for the widows, for the orphans, for the downtrodden. It's all that that's, you know, that concords with our Christian morality. Mm-hmm. And according to those standards, then it to condemn the vast majority of humanity for what you determined that they should do is unjust. Okay, awesome. Thank well, you. All right. Well, All right. So, so I want to kind of probe back a little bit. Um, first of all, just a quick clarification question, because I think obviously looking at this philosophical objection that you both share, right? You know, it's essentially look, it was immoral in light of hell and this world, it was immoral for God to create anything in the first place because he knew in advance people would be going to hell. Hell is a bad thing, so he shouldn't have created. Now, this is a question of value, overall value of this world that he's created. So the first thing I want to just clarify from both of you is it could be perhaps that you guys are assuming that hell is this very bad thing and, or sorry, is, is much worse or a, a negative detriment um, than it really is, right? So obviously none of us, neither Tyler nor I uh, believe in a hell that is eternal conscious torture. Devils aren't sticking us with pitchforks for all of eternity or hanging us by our tongues. And it's not Dante's Inferno. I, I think I, I don't I don't want to speak for Tyler, but I would agree that 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 would be very extremely disvaluable, almost to the point where I would ask or question why God would create this world. But obviously, our views of hell, the eternal conscious torment view, or if you go for annihilationism, do do you guys attach the same like those uh, the notions of hell are so bad that it's not worth creating in your view. Like how bad do you see these alternative hells? What do you mean? Can you, can you lock down what you mean by eternal conscious torment? For example, one could say that, uh, anyone in this world who's not saved is tormented. Is it like that? Or is it, uh, something more intense and is it a state of suffering? Yeah, so there's definitely there's definitely suffering in the sense that it's emotional and spiritual suffering because you have chosen to be relationally separated from God. So obviously you've got this sin disease that you've been infected with and sin breeds other sins. He can't let you into heaven if you're not going to repent of your sins and be redeemed because you will infect other people by sinning against them and that will cause them to sin and stuff like that. So he has to he has to quarantine you. Now, when you are quarantined, that does entail certain negative uh, states of affairs. You you will be emotionally suffering. You'll be in torment because you'll be confronted with your sin and you're you're separated from the source of love. So, well, and then and again, and then you have a situation. Let let's just say that you were a father and you had children, and you planned to have four children with your wife, and you had four children. And three of those children, you left no inheritance to, you did nothing to help them, you left them aside, and then one of them, uh, you know, was the good child who you favored and the golden child, and you gave everything to them. Would you feel okay with that? Would you be okay with that outcome? 
Uh, and and what if you set up the the child rearing and the outcome so that it ended up like that? I mean, would God? And now we're talking purely abstractly, philosophically. Would God, who is just and all loving and all merciful, why would He set up a system? knowing that the vast majority of his creation will spend eternity suffering. So I'm going to get there, right? So like I'm leading okay. up. So, okay. So I, you didn't really answer my question then, right? Okay. Like are, are you, are you, I'm not okay with it, no, because it's still an eternal state of suffering. It might not be as bad a suffering, but you know, you take that conscious torment and add it up over a few trillion years and it might just be pretty miserable. Cool. Okay. And so it could be just as bad as the pitchforks and the hellfire. But, okay. you know, and then the corollary, the, the follow up, I'll ask you, and, and you go set yours up, but I'm going to throw out there does Jesus say anything about that? You know, this is the guy, this is God incarnate. So I don't care what Augustine said, I don't care what Papias or any of the church fathers said. You know, what did Jesus believe. And I don't think <clears throat> that without a whole lot of wrangling and twisting words and over-interpreting that you're going to get that out of what he said or believed or what any of the Jews of his day believed. Okay. So, so that's the historical part. So I'll, Right. It is. It uh, is. Because, because if you do you want to talk about it from a strictly Christian perspective as a Christian, and so I'll address you as a Christian, or do you want to talk about it just philosophically and agnostically? So I have two sets of responses. Yeah. So so I'm dealing with the philosophical one. I'm, I'm trying right. to just make Philosophically, an all just God is not going to want his children separated from him. Correct. In, in, in and of itself, no. It's, it's And that would actually be torturous for him. Okay. So, so let me speak. No interruptions. So I, I agreed it is a bad, in and of itself, it's a bad state of affairs for hell, even under these nuanced views. Um, and, and Omar, just before I go to David, a quick yes or no. Mm -hmm. um, what about the annihilationist view where annihilated? Is that bad enough that it's not worth creating in your view? No, I wouldn't think so. But that, that defies my idea that the soul is eternal. But if we put that aside philosophically, no, because in annihilation, you're not suffering for eternity. You're simply non-being. You're not there to suffer. You're not present. Cool. All yeah. right, cool. Thank you so much. So, so David, same, same, questions to, same question to you in the first place. These alternative views of hell um, that I and Tyler have laid out and stuff, are these so bad in your view that they're not worth creating at all? Well, uh, I'm not clear totally about what you're saying. I, I think, I think, Dale, you're saying that you're talking about an eternal separation. Is that right? Yeah. 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 Well, I like Omar. I, I ask, I ask you, I ask myself, where does that Jesus actually put this view forward? And Otherwise, if, if we don't see the evidence for this in the New Testament, we're just making stuff up, you know, out of our heads, really. And I don't see it. And we, I mean, 
we, we've talked about what Jesus says, and and he doesn't give a, a view of hell, hell except talking about destruction, as we we quoted from Matthew ten twenty eight, and uh, and I'm just looking at Revelation chapter twenty, which is a very important chapter for where we get our views on hell, <clears throat> which is not the the words of Jesus, but it says that the end of the chapter that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, if you believe the Bible and you, and you take, you know, what Revelation says as important for doctrine, then I don't see being cast into a lake of fire as being just eternal separation. Uh, it's consistent with eternal torment and it's consistent with annihilation because in the fire you could be burnt up and be no more. But, uh, but I don't think it's consistent with this kind of eternal being separated from God. So how do you square that verse with, with your thinking, Dale? Okay, so again, you guys got to, we're on the philosophy, right? This I'm trying to deal with just the philosophy, but it's granted that we have the scriptural issue as well. So I'm, I'm going to get to that next. Okay, right, uh, right. But I'm just trying to make a point. Like, okay, sorry, I don't think yeah. I can do it. But so, let's just go to the scripture if you, so we, if you guys want. Well, we, we can talk about, I mean, the philosophical moral first if you like but i i i, I agree with with omar on that that, that 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 the that it's a moral issue really and i think an eternity of i mean just the eternity of being myself all right would be unbearable i mean uh, personally i don't want to live forever <laughs> and uh, being separated from all that's good uh, would be after a while it'd be unbearable i mean what would you do what would you think about uh, you know, as, uh, or if you're stuck with other people who uh, are equally bad, or uh, what what on earth are you going to do? Um, it would be a terrible existence. So uh, I, I can't see. It. I mean, the only way that Christians can sell heaven is because we can't describe it. Because indescribable joy and worship and wonderful, you know, but it's all ineffable, basically because none of us can really conceive of an eternity of existence, you know, going on, you know, we're finite beings, you know, we, we live from day to day, week to week, we have our own goals and we do this and we do that and we learn. So none of us can really get our heads around what an eternity of existence would be like, but you can get, but a Christian can kind of get around that with regard to heaven by saying it's all ineffably glorious, but an, an eternity of existence of boredom uh, is difficult to sell. Scripture doesn't even say what Jesus is going to be like in his glorified state, yeah. so let alone heaven, right? But no, go ahead, Dale. No. Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay, so, so obviously it looks like the scripture issue is, is really your main thing here because the, the philosophical objections are presupposing what you think the value of heaven verse, versus the uh, disvalue of hell is. So I'm going to let uh, Tyler speak to that stuff about, you know, does Jesus teach us? But the, the point I wanted to make on the philosophical end is just we have to make an overall judgment. This is what God has to do. He has to, I think that the value of salvation or heaven um, is extremely great. Even if it's just a few people saved, there's such a value in that. It's so worthwhile that it does justify the negatives of hell, which I don't think are as bad as an eternal torture model or something like that. I, I think that eternal torment is a justified punishment for those who freely choose not to experience relation relationality with God. 
Um, they want to be separated and quarantined from God. Uh, remember, it's their choice. It's not like God imposing this on them. They've made that choice. No, I, I don't want to live in heaven under God and stuff. I want to be separate from him. So it's not, I don't think people are being dragged into hell kicking and screaming. Um, they've chosen to enter the door themselves. Um, now that will mean that, yeah, they are, there's an element of judgment, but that's a good thing, right? Because judgment and punishment is meant, is justified by reforming these characters. That's what the fire is. It's a purging metaphor. Um, so it's, it's reforming the characters of these sinners potentially, and also reforming the characters of the victims of the sin in heaven. So this hell, if you just annihilate them, you, you totally no justice is done because there's no healing done for the people that were sinned against. This is why I can't go with annihilationism. There has to be some kind of penalty or punishment that's inflicted where they confront the sins, they deal with these sins um, and stuff like that. So I, that's what I would say in terms of the justification. I, I think that the value overall, all things considered, is not low enough. It's equal in value to the world where God just exists alone. And that's why he can freely choose to create or not. Um, oh, that, that opens up several. Oh, are you done? I didn't want to interrupt. Yeah, I'm, fin I'm finished. That, that opens up several questions. <clears throat> One, I'll make a couple bullet points. One is that actually the most severe form of punishment that you can inflict on a prisoner is to put them in solitary confinement which is essentially what you're describing hell is. So that in a way is just as bad as or worse than the torture because it's psychic torture, right? You're being locked in a box for all eternity surrounded by nothing but a giant view screen of your, you know, of your shortcomings and your sins. Um, two, in, in, in justice, the punishment needs to fit the crime you know it's still we have a finite life and it's it's not about i know the tit for tat for each crime it's about choosing to be separate from god but you have to ask the question is who among any of us can conceive of being separate from god or even with god like david was saying for eternity we can't really conceive of it which means we can't really rightfully choose it third thing is that no one is choosing eternal solitary confinement in a box, <clears throat> right? When people choose to be separate from God, it's because they want to enjoy the world separately from God. That's implicit in it. So they're not getting what they chose remotely. Fourth point is all these people in heaven getting retribution and rah, 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 <clears throat> you know, that the guy's going to pay now, you know, this guy stole 50 bucks from me so he can suffer for eternity. It's still ridiculously disproportionate. So, and, and their vindication is that they go to heaven. And, and again, it says that in, in the old Testament, if you're identifying Sheol as, as the afterlife, that you're forgotten there. So the people in heaven don't even know who you are. They're not sitting up there going, great, I got mine back on him. You know, he he ran my wife over in the street. And now for all eternity, I get to watch him suffer on my cosmic view screen. And, and, and just think about it. If, if someone 
came in and, you know, came into your house and tied you up to a chair and gathered up all your loved ones and killed them in front of you. And God came down and he said, you know what? Here's your chance for justice, Dale. I'm going to let you do whatever you want to this guy and he'll never die. And you can torture him any way you want and stick a bag over his head and make him sit there in the dark forever and splash cold water on him, peel his skin off with a rusty potato peeler, feed him to ants and let him be devoured over a hundred years, whatever you want. Sooner or later, you're going to say, you know, this is just enough. If you're any kind of human being at all, you're going to say, you know, after a few months, years, 10,000 years, sooner or later, you're going to say, you know, the guy suffered enough. I'm sick of this. And, you know, and the guy has suffered enough. But throwing someone into eternal hell says that God's just never done punishing you. And he's never done with your suffering. And he's, you know, you're suffering. You can just never suffer enough for him is what it's saying. And uh, but there was a last point. Um, which I have now lost track of in my metaphors. Uh, yeah, I'm done. Okay. Okay. So in the first place, hell is what you said, right? We're not alone. We're not in solitary. We are, all the sinners are together, sinning against each other for all of eternity. They're just... Well, you said there's psychic torment and there's separation from God. Yeah, but separation not from escape God. from New York, from right? Other, from other sinners. It's not like you're sitting in a cell with a TV screen for forever. So I don't know if that well, was just... I don't think we know. I, I Again, it goes to the question of how do you know what hell is? How do I know what hell is? How do we know what it is? But we know that it's tormentuous. So regardless of whether you're tormenting each other or tormenting yourself, it's still a disproportionate eternal torment and eternal punishment for a finite choice made by a finite being with limited perception and limited circumstances. The, the crime, the punishment far outweighs the crime, infinitely outweighs the crime. Okay, so my last point, and I, I do want to give it to Tyler because we do have that sure. scriptural sure. aspect that's important for both of you guys. But the last thing is that I was going to say is, no, it's not disproportionate at all because they keep sinning in hell. That's why they keep incurring more and more finite punishments for all of eternity. That's how I view it. It's not, well, you committed these finite amount of sins, that equals an infinite amount of punishment. Um, so there's that way to look at it as well. Oh, that was my last thing. You were talking about, um, uh, 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 what's the word I'm looking for? Um, becoming better. Um, reforming your reforming. Yeah. Yeah. So do they get reformed in hell and then get to go to heaven? I, th I think that that is that's a possibility and purpose of it. Unfortunately, we know as a matter of fact, no one will ever choose that because it does speak. They will be punished for eternity. So like logically speaking, yeah, that could happen. But it's just factually speaking, God has told us in his knowledge Unfortunately, no one's going to take advantage of that opportunity. So that's the way I kind of see it. Yeah. All right, Tyler, um, do you want to speak to the, because obviously David and Omar are speaking to the scriptural stuff and they're saying, look, your fanciful notions, Dale, this is just modern philosophical stuff. Jesus never taught this. They didn't even have a concept of the afterlife in the Old Testament. So 
you want to speak to that aspect? Well, there, man, there's a lot of stuff uh, I, I want to say, but um, let me, I want to, let's start with the, the concept of having no understanding of the afterlife. I think we would, I hope we would all agree that Job is an extremely early text, <coughs> maybe even on the same par as Genesis. And Job says this in uh, 1925 through 27. I'm just reading out of the NIV for, uh, for all of our listeners sake. Uh, but he says this, I know that my redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. We see again in, let's see, First Kings 17, uh, 17 through 24. This is kind of lengthy. Uh, after this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill, and his illness was so severe that there was no breath left in him. In other words, he died. And she said to Elijah, "What have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring you have come to me to bring my sin to remembrance, and to cause the death of my son." Elijah goes on basically and raises uh, this child from the dead. He goes on in uh, verse twenty-four, and Elijah said, "See, your son lives." Uh, this is after uh, Elijah does his thing, whatever it is that he did there. Uh, there's a concept. So the point that I'm trying to get at here, and we know in the Psalms, right? So I'm trying to hit on every aspect of the uh, Tanakh here. I want to say there's something in Deuteronomy as well, but I can't seem to locate it. But that's fine. Um, this concept of resurrection in the Old Testament, I think, is something very, very known, right? Uh, so the passage I was going to bring up in Psalm 49, uh, 13 through 15, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boast. Like sheep, they are appointed for shield. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol, he will receive me. And so there's this concept that Jesus alludes to over and over and over again, uh, especially whenever we talk about uh, this, my soul will not uh, see corruption, right? There's the concept of the resurrection. And now we can debate, and I think scholars have debated this topic till the cows come home, right? Did the Jews believe in a resurrection of the righteous only? Did the Jews believe in a, a universal resurrection, right? To be honest, guys, I haven't seen any evidence for the universal, uh, or I'm sorry, the resurrection of the righteous only. Um, where, uh, Omar, since you brought that up, where? Yeah, where I wish that. So I, I, I saw it referenced in uh, the material I was reading, yeah. but now I, I'd have to go dig it up and search back and spend 20 minutes looking for it. Sure. But, but I do want to make a point. Mm -hmm. Um. Go back and read the one from Job again. Yeah. Go ahead and read that. Let's see. I know that my Redeemer lives and that in the end he will stand on the earth. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. Right there. Mm -hmm. On the earth, in my skin. Mm -hmm. That's a bodily resurrection in the kingdom of God on earth. Right. Okay. So that was an idea that they had. 
right? <clears throat> so they may have had yeah. competing ideas. No, they don't have a universal belief, and they all, like a big pack of lemmings, are moving from one belief to the next, right? Mm -hmm. And everyone agrees on the same thing. Yeah. So there, there are different beliefs developing over time, and there are people who are going to agree, people who are going to disagree. Even in Jesus's time, the Sadducees believed in no afterlife. The mm -hmm. Pharisees believed in an afterlife. And Jesus you know, condemned the Pharisees. So, so people yeah. had different, you know, there were different camps, different schools. But what they did not have was the Greek idea of an eternal soul and of a ascending to heaven and a descending to an otherworldly hell for eternity. So I'm not sure what the concept of this, of Job talking about being on earth, has anything to do with this conversation. I say that respectfully because Christians, I don't, Christians have taught that God will make a new heavens and a new earth. This is taught in Isaiah. This is taught in Revelation. Right, right. Well, it means is that it's a bodily resurrection here on earth because, mm -hmm. because a lot of Christians believe that when you die, you, you go straight up to heaven to be with God, right? With the angels playing the harps and the clouds. People think that. And you may not. That's, all, that's fine. But there mm -hmm. are a lot of people who do. Okay. And and there's a little bit of muddling. So I was saying that to kind of tease it out, but it, it's about having a physical body on earth and a physical resurrection for those who are saved by God, as Job is saying that he will be saved. And he was being saved from Sheol, which essentially means non-existence, non-being. Doesn't say it's hellfire, eternal torment. It's sure. simply a state of non-existence and okay. non-being. So his body is resurrected back from that. So that idea is there in the Old Testament. So are you saying like non-existence? Would that be a correct way to phrase what the, you're saying? I think that that's what Sheol is referring to. Interesting. So in Genesis, death, you know, they might not have had the categories of words for it. You know, they're yeah. not they're not, you know, modern postmodern thinkers who might not even have had a category for the word non-being and non-existence. It's just simply a state of blackness, of non-consciousness, of non-awareness, of non-existence. Yeah. They might not have had the, the, the language for it or we might not really now understand their language and their intentions perfectly well hmm. but um it's certainly not uh, a place it's not being described as a place of torment where, where people are, are you know being tormented eternally no i think what we would see in the new testament is the concept of hades and this is what was interesting about what david brought up between hades and gehenna this is what i was saying earlier that those are two distinct concepts right hades is not equivalent to Gehenna and vice versa, right? But what we do see also in the Old Testament, Omar, and especially in Genesis, we, I mean, early, early on, is that this concept of, uh, for example, Isaac, whenever Isaac reposed and, or died, uh, the scripture says that he went to be with his fathers or he went to rest with his fathers, right? We right. also see this notion of the same thing in the Psalms. David says whenever, uh, you know the story, whenever David... Uh, he had some promiscuous activities with Bathsheba. He ended up killing Uriah, and the son of them uh, that was to be conceived actually suffered uh, because of what David did. And David uh, stopped weeping after his son had actually died. And they said, well, why are you not weeping anymore, David? 
And David says, because I know I will see my son again, right? I am going to go where he is. And so I don't know if this, you know, understanding uh, that I think you're getting from Ecclesiastes uh, and maybe even Proverbs a little bit is in a sense to be taken literally. Uh, and what I mean by that is this is poetic literature that we're talking about. And mm -hmm. so, of course, they're going to describe death as rest or as maybe even nothingness, right? There's no, I mean, I don't know what death is. I haven't experienced yet. You know, maybe if uh, I do and I can come back in the resurrection, I'll let you know. <laughs> but no, um, but I do see this. Well, think, under go, ahead. Sorry, go ahead. I think that understanding what death is, is hinges on understanding what the soul is. Mm. And if That's you have the idea that the soul is the breath of life intermixed with the physicality of the body. Yeah. And when the f body dies and disintegrates, the breath just vaporizes into the ether and goes away. And you only have a soul while you are embodied, which is what the Jews believed, you know, very distinctly from the Greeks, especially early on then, yeah, when you die, it, it logically follows that non-existence follows. You don't, you know, going to be with your fathers. I mean, Achilles could have said that. Anyone could have said that back in the in ancient times because they were very into their family and their heredity and, and, and the yeah. forefathers and all of that. That was just part of the way of thinking. Mm -hmm. But to be with your fathers means you're gone. You know, I'm so, glad. So, Tyler, I'll let you. I'll let you respond, but I, I just want to be fair to David and see if he has. Oh, yeah, I mean, David's been quiet this whole time. I wanted to jump in. Yeah. Uh, so, Tyler, finish finish your thought to respond to the Omar's mm -hmm. thing there, but then well, I want David to come in if he has anything to say. Go ahead, let David come in because you threw me off my groove there, Dale. So, no, I'm just playing. <laughs> I'm just playing. Go ahead. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so, yeah. David, uh, did you have anything that you wanted to contribute to what Omar and Tyler were saying? There? Well, yes. I'm. Uh, just my observation is that uh, we're we're um, we're kind of inventing, in a way, uh, ideas of hell, which suit ourselves because, as Christians, we don't have the evidence for it in the New Testament. Basically, we've we've got uh, a concept there in Revelation, the verse that I just read, of the lake of fire, but we don't know what. The intention or what the meaning of that is whether that means destruction or eternal torment if you like or whatever you were talking about dale um eternally with your sins being bored how do you the separation stuff like that so it's difficult to see that fitting with a lake of fire but but anyway but then we have jesus talking about destruction fairly clearly in verses like the verse that we 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 um that we quoted Matthew 10 28 but um and so we we see that uh, but but then there's different views you know and uh, the mainstream view is eternal conscious torment which I think Chris Dayton Edward Fudge and others have fairly vigorously challenged in recent years but um but oh. you see, oh right, we've got a new entrant to the debate. Oh. All right, so. right. She wanted to come in and school us all. So okay, well, <laughs> I'm sure we'd agree that the hell was being separated from her father. Can, <laughs> you, can you can you say David and Omar are totally wrong? <laughs> wrong. <laughs> oh, she just yeah. she, she agrees with me. Yeah. 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 That's why she's not talking. She doesn't want to hurt her dad's feelings. <laughs> <laughs> So, so yeah. So anyway, on 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 scripture, 
it's kind of an open field. I mean, I, I, people are convinced that um, <clears throat> individually of what they see scripture saying. And uh, ever since the Reformation, we've got used to the idea that people can make up their own minds individually about what scripture means, which is why we've got four people here. We've got four different views. Uh, and this is Protestant, Protestantism, isn't it? Where we don't have to agree with what the, the, we have to, you know, before before the Reformation, the idea was that there was just one view, which was the church's view, and everyone had to believe it, or else you were a heretic. But now everyone makes up their own minds individually, and uh, and stay. I I was an annihilationist as a Christian ever since I came across these views and thought about it, and uh, you know, but Tyler thinking about it, Dale, you've got one view, Omar, you're not a Christian, I understand, but you're kind yeah. of thinking about it. So if you became a Christian, I expect you'd be an annihilationist, I, I expect. If, yeah, if, yeah, yes. Yeah. So yeah. we each of us come to our own view. Um, and so, I mean, it'd be silly for us to say we've got to get to the same view because that's just not possible, you know, because even if we're, all four of us managed to agree, that would leave several billion out there, several million. Still, still we just got a lot of work to do, David. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that's right. We need a lot of a, a lot of podcasts uh, to convert everyone to our view, and there might be some one person might hold out. But anyway, on the scripture, you see, it's just it's an open field because we're 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 free thinking human beings. But on the moral side, you know, and Omar put it the philosophical side, which I see as the moral question. Um, it's just unconscionable to think that a loving God would would do this um, to the vast majority of humanity, and uh, and and having predetermined that, that in the beginning. And a day or one point, I wanted to pick you up. You say everyone chose. Well, everyone before Christ didn't chose because they didn't know. Unless you've got this idea that when there's the resurrection, everyone then gets the chance to choose which is what some people think, although it's not there in the, in the Bible. But is that what you believe? Uh, yeah, so so under an inclusivist understanding, I think, uh, soteriologically speaking yeah. at least, um, I think that people can be saved without having explicit belief in Jesus or that he died and rose from the dead. Obviously, that would have been chronologically impossible for someone like Abraham or Moses, mm -hmm. and yet they were saved. So the conditions for salvation are, are dependent on your situation to some extent, right? Uh, obviously, they didn't have to express belief in Jesus' deity or the Trinity or something like that. Whereas we today, Christian, we have, we're more responsible. God has provided more revelation for us to be responsible, to be real seekers and, and learning from and stuff, right? So that's the first thing I would say. Um, okay. The other, the other thing I would say, um, so this notion that there is a development in the understanding, I think is to some extent true, right? I'm, I'm I, oh, I'll, uh, yep, yep. I'll wait for him to, because I'm answering. Yeah, carry one, on. One thing that we need to say is that there was also ontologically speaking, a development in the nature of the afterlife. Mm -hmm. Right. The, the Bible is clear. No one could go or there are some exceptions that Tyler points out. But generally speaking, whether you're good or bad, saved or, or damned for all of eternity, you would go to Sheol in the Old Testament period. It was not until Jesus paid the penalty for our sins, died and rose from the dead, 
that the nature of the afterlife changed. And that's why the New Testament changed to reflect the new reality, I think. So mm -hmm. that can account for some of this as well. Well, keep in mind too, Dale, at the same time, whenever Jesus spoke on the Lazarus and the rich man parable, right? I don't think if the Jews didn't have an understanding, and I don't think he was just talking to Hellenized Jews at this point, right? He's talking to, I mean, the, the Jews that are in Jerusalem, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, like Omar pointed it out, right? They had this understanding of, you know, Abraham's bosom uh, or paradise, right? As Jesus told the thief on the cross tonight, you will be with me in paradise and this understanding of where the rich man went. And Jesus explains this entire you know, structure in this parallel Luke records for us. And so the idea of the chasm and all this stuff. And I'm just curious, I just want to clarify, when do you guys, uh, and Omar, I think it'd be fair to ask you this, uh, because mm -hmm. you're the one that brought it up. And and I, let me just say before I ask this, that I agree, I think pers or personal, um, progressive revelation, I think the Bible is clear on that. You know, we, we see God, revealing himself and revealing how things are i mean from the time of moses to the time of jesus right and even a little bit after that and so my question is when do you think that that concept uh, in your study when did that come about is that a which, greek which the uh jesus's parable a parable about the rich man and, the, and lazarus the concept right. of abraham's bosom or hate. i was just reading about that this yeah. morning actually and nice. and um you know, the comment was that Luke is a later gospel. And that, How late? that uh, well, um, did Luke, you know, that's a good question. Um, later than the others. Um, I'm not sure if we want to go with the strictest possible interpretation, it couldn't really realistically be more than, you know, 90 you know, the 90 AD, right? Um, because you have Luke, who was a associate of Paul, you know, Paul was probably in his 20s, uh, you know, right around the time that Jesus was crucified in the 30 and 30. So this guy was a young guy uh, with Paul traveling with him later, it's just realistically, if he actually was the author of Luke, if Luke was Luke, in the story, then you're talking 80 or 90. Well, that's after the fall of the temple. And that is wow. after the infusion of a lot of Greeks and Hellens and Hellenized thought. I mean, really, Paul was bringing the Hellens in very early on. And he was bringing the Greeks in very early on. And, and um, you know, he uh, so they were they were coming in very early. And I think just from my general reading, and I'm no expert at all, but my general reading, I think that they tended to be a little more vocal than the Jews in Jerusalem were. Um, the Jews in Jerusalem kind of seemed to keep to themselves, do their thing, proselytize among each other, occasionally reaching out to non-Jews, but wanting them to convert to Judaism. And um, that was a harder sell. And, and Paul was able to bring in a lot more people who brought their ideas in. So Luke was drawing from the testimony of many people, he says. So we don't know how so let me... influenced his testimony might have been. But he's mm -hmm. definitely not a direct eyewitness to what Jesus said. So if we want to try to get an eyewitness and 
assume and believe that, for example, uh, Mark was an eyewitness to what Jesus said, then look at what Mark said and give it precedence over Luke. So let me ask you this then, given what you've just said, do you think Jesus actually told the parable of the rich man and Lazarus? He may have. And and his, his you know, he may have. Uh, how do we know? How do we know? Because the parable of of the of the woman being stoned, you know, there's a huge debate over that. In People John? No, in John, right? People don't know. I mean, it was, certainly was not there. And we know in the earliest versions of John's Testament. And uh, there's a lot of debate about it. There are people who have a very reasonable opinion, I think, that it was a story that was carried on peripherally by word of mouth and then was inserted back in in a good place. Or someone said, you know, this has got to be preserved and wrote it in there. I find right. that very believable. That's very possible. And I get that with John because it's not. Yeah, right. I get that with John because that's not in the earliest manuscripts. But we right. don't have right. that same thing Again, with Luke. Again, right. with, with Luke, that is also a parable, right? Is it a literal story? Did he mean it to be literal? Right. I get that. But whether it's literal, I'm whether it's... About Luke, I'm saying let's just grant it to Jesus. Let's mm. say he said that parable. Yeah. Did he mean it literally? I'm asking you, do you think he meant Oh, it I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. That wasn't a rhetorical question. Do you think he, well, in a way it was, but do you do you think he meant it literally? I don't see why we wouldn't take any of the parables that Jesus talked about literally, right? And it, depending on what you mean by well, that. Well, no, that's the whole point of a parable is you're trying to get the point of the parable, not the story of the parable. There wasn't... So historically is what you're was. saying. Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so okay. Just trying to convey an idea to yeah. people at that time about charity. Right, right? so, right. And I and think before that... before you, you can... die, because mm -hmm. you don't get a second chance after you die. Right. Mm -hmm. Was he trying to convey that idea? And and, you know, how literally did he mean the story to be taken? Was there really a guy named, you know, a, 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 you know, was this whole parable? Did this actually take place? Mm -hmm. And then you have a, a scale of literality. Well, OK, this exact event might not have taken place, but something like it could have taken place. And therefore, the circumstances are real, that there's an afterlife and in Abraham's bosom and all of that. Or was he just trying to say, you know what, do what's right while you're here now and don't think that you can make up for it later. Mm -hmm. So I think that's interesting, uh, a very interesting way to put it, because if you take with the assumptions like Dell and I do that Jesus is God incarnate, and I think I, mm -hmm. you know, I heard you made that, uh, that statement a while back and that's what Christians believe, obviously. And so I think Jesus can tell, right. Stories that mm -hmm. didn't literally happen, right. but have these concepts of, Abraham's bosom and um, what what did he call the uh, the fire place? I guess I think he just says there's a rich man in fire and torment, right? Uh, Hades. And so, but my my thing is is for me anyway, mm -hmm. putting myself in that context. If Jesus told this to remember Pharisees and Sadducees, not Hellenized Jews at this point, this is before 33 A.D. At this point, right. if he told this story, if he did. 
they still would have an understanding of what Jesus was talking about to even get the point to begin right. with. You see what I'm saying? Well, what's hey, what's Abraham's bosom? What you you know? yeah. right, 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 right. But that's right. not in there. Like, so the Eucharist, uh, I think he's talking about the Eucharist in John six and his disciples. What are you talking about? Cannibalism? Like, no, <laughs> I think that same thing would have happened there. And it maybe it was recorded. Maybe it wasn't. But the point is they understood the concept of the story, which, hey, if it historically happened, whatever if it didn't no big deal but those concepts of abraham's bosom are still there and they're still known to the jews or else i think jesus would have told a different parable that's just my opinion mm -hmm. but does that answer your question that answers the question yeah okay. yeah and, and it does bring up a, a bit of a sticky point it does you know um in in the other gospels though i mean that seems to be about the only example we have in the gospels of him giving um any kind of statement that would you know, uh, that would elucidate an idea of an afterlife unless, for, for sinners. Unless so. you actually believe that revelation is a revelation from Jesus Christ to John. Right. Right. Okay. Okay. So, uh, so I'm going to step in, uh, again, just out of respect for David. Mm -hmm. Ken, yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, it sounds like you and David are talking Dell and me and Omar are talking. So <laughs> you don't interrupt our <laughs> conversation. So I know David, David's got a time limit about yeah. an hour and a half, but if you guys want, like David, if David has to leave, you guys can keep Where going. Where are we time wise? We're oh, at an, an hour, hour and 30 half. right now. Oh, so that's we always do this, don't we, Dale? We we wind yeah. up going over two hours, you know. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's fine with me, but I, it's yeah, just with David Kemble Cook here. So, so David, um, if you have to go at the hour and a half mark, um, I want to turn it to you at this point. It, yeah. Is there anything left that we haven't? <clears throat> sorry, that we haven't discussed uh, with each bark. other? Right. Yeah. <laughs> <you> just bark, <laughs> David. Do you have a question for me? I, I haven't really interacted uh, with, with you. Well, um, I, I think I think you've you kind of said that you're um, still on the fence a bit, Dale, about annihilationism. But um, that that that's the impression I got from you. Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. I think um, we've covered all the points I wanted to raise, and and Omar said them, made them better than I did. In the first place anyway along with the historical commentary which was really quite interesting and i hadn't heard it um quite like that before and i think that um omar and i have made the the philosophical moral point very strongly here uh, on scripture we can go back and forth of course uh, as you've just been doing for the last 10 minutes and and we could continue to do that uh, but i think the strongest objection to the traditional concept of hell is indeed the moral philosophical one which is where i i would want to put it because you know as i said on scripture we each individually make up our minds and we may convince someone but not someone else we could change our minds on that but uh, but i think morally you know that that a just all loving god would not do this it just it's just completely opposite to our ideas of justice and fairness and goodness and lovingness mm -hmm. You know, and uh, maybe you could consider that there is a concept of hell where people could reform somehow, but then they'd have to find a way back to heaven, you know, a way to heaven. Otherwise, it would not be moral or just. There'd have to be a, a way in which people would serve their time and then, you know, get get to the other place. Otherwise, it's just not just. And the scale, I mean, Omar raised the point very strongly about justice has to be proportionate. 
and it's just an, an infinite punishment for for a, a finite sin is not proportionate period as you americans say uh it, it's just Maybe. it just doesn't work yeah <laughs> so he's he's north he's north american though you're north american, <laughs> yeah, north american yeah. you say well, period. I, I like to say that people in the u.s they're south canadians so yeah they, all right okay <laughs> david you can go ahead and finish your your what you're saying but i do want to ask you a question before you get off here okay so no just, I, I think i've said it i think i've said it yes so yes. you ask me so I, I've been thinking this whole time, do I say this? Do I not? Do I say this? Do I not? And I just, I, I want to, because if I don't, I'll, I'll live my whole life. Well, what if, right? And so I want to get y'all's opinion and definitely yours, David. So let me ask you this, right? The people that make our laws, right? And, and not only America, but, but worldwide, right? The people that make laws, knowing that people, and this might deal more with annihilationism than it does eternal conscious torment. But again, I'm curious on your view uh, on this. But people that make laws, knowing that people are going to murder people, right? And this goes back to what y'all were saying earlier about knowing and causing and all these different things. But people that make laws that ab about people that they know they're going to murder, they know they're going to steal, they know they're going to do whatever it is, right? Are they unjust whenever those people... Um, the people that do these crimes, they do these things. And then lo and behold, they get picked up by the police officer. If they get caught, they go in front of a judge and the judge enacts this law that has been, you know, unanimously decided amongst, you know, our, our Congress and however it works, you know, world worldwide. Are, are the lawmakers unjust for setting up the way these things work, especially with the judicial system? knowing that people are going to break these very laws that uh, they enact? I can answer that, and I'll tell you why. No, yeah. they're making the laws after the fact. Murder exists before the laws against murder existed. God came up with the system before it was created in his mind. So, no, it's not the same thing. It's not a parallel. So hold People on. are going around killing each yes, other, and then we make a law on our level but we get you our understanding over the head and we get together and decide that's not right you can't do that we're going to have a law against it and then we're going to punish you but i did not give you the nature to whack dale over the head i did not set up the conditions and the system in which you would behave that way or do that and have the nature to do that so our laws are reactionary but God, like David mentioned, is first cause, prima facie. So that's it's a different, it's a completely different thing. Omar, do you or do you hold to determinism? Determinism? No, no, no. It's, it's, libertarian it's, free will guy. Uh, it's really difficult. It's okay. really difficult. It depends on how you look at it. I, I think okay. that I believe that we have will, mm -hmm. but our will is never free. And I, and I think Dale, Dale and I have talked about this before, is yeah. that I think free is a binary concept. And I, I was just talking with a friend who's a Ph.D. in religion yesterday, and he vehemently disagreed with me. But to me, free is like pregnant. You're okay. either free or you're not. Okay. You're, free in, you're pregnant or you're not. You're free of influence or you're influenced. Because freedom means to be in a position where you're not influenced. Okay. Interesting. Right? So we are always being influenced mm -hmm. by 
our moods, by the weather, by illness, by our mental state, by people around us, by forces and conditions around us in the world. So we have will. We're not automatons, but okay. our will is always being pulled. Yes. Pulled, pushed. Yes. Okay. But so would you say that those influences are causal? Or do uh, they just, I, and I have not figured out a word for this. So forgive me for being redundant here, okay. but, or do they just influence us? Really hard to tell. I know there's that existential moment of choice that mm -hmm. existentialists love to talk about, mm -hmm. but you, you really, it's really kind of like a point, right? Well, show me a point. Well, points don't exist. You can't show me one, but I can show you a representation of one that's a dot on a piece of paper. Mm -hmm. But we know that in reality, a point doesn't exist, but it's, it's a concept that we can hold in our mind. That moment of choice is is a slippery thing because in retrospect we can talk about it but mm -hmm. we can't really ever talk about it in the present tense okay. we can I have to go excuse me i have to go guys oh, all right david it's so, really nice to meet you david i hope nice to meet you omar uh, omar and um and it's a real pleasure to you know to talk to you and listen to you and hear some of your arguments which you know some of your thinking um chimes with mine so that's good. And I thought we would agree to a large yeah. degree because I saw one of your one of the podcasts with you and, um, you know, you kind of got off onto this discussion. I said, oh, this guy's saying the things I've been thinking. <laughs> so I figured that kind of was going to happen today. Yeah. Well, it's been it's been very interesting and fun. And please, uh, you, you're going to carry on without me. Yeah. So, all right. So let me know, please, if you are going to listen to find out if I have free will. So okay. <laughs> David is good talking will, to you again. It's never free. Okay. Right. right Bye for you. now. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for being here, David. And all right, cool. Well, so now at this point, I am going to step out. I am going to just let you, Omar, and Tyler have at it. And I'm not going to interrupt because I've got, I've got about five minutes, so we can't go crazy. Oh, really? oh, okay. That's too bad. Okay. Yeah, I know. I know. You're going to have to come on Faith Unaltered sometime, Omar. Like, I would love to. Discuss yeah, yeah. Send me an email. Yeah. Okay. Get my All right. From Dale. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, technically, he is on Faith Unaltered now, right? But um, Well, you know, okay. with, oh, with the crew, man. With the crew. So uh, all three of us are broadcasting. So No, but I mean, I mean, Dale is hosting it, right? Right. Or are you hosting it? No, Dale is. Dale is. I thought so. Okay. Yeah. 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 But and Dale, if you want to go ahead and... I mean, if you want to, man, you can go ahead and because, like I said, I only got about five more minutes before I have okay, to. So, so if you okay, want to go ahead so and we'll just, can. yeah, that's no problem. All right, cool. Well, so we'll just wrap up. Um, I guess we'll each give like a, a final closing word then, yeah. I guess. So, oh, is that okay? All right. Yeah. Is that, yeah, because Tyler's got to go. I mean, I'm okay to keep going if you want to just keep talking, Dale. I mean, that's fine. We can keep talking. But other than that, if you want to wrap up, we can wrap up. Because okay. now you, you threw us into free will, and it's funny. <laughs> oh, I, I got off topic. No, I was going to throw a monkey wrench in and say, hey, that's why a lot of people believe in reincarnation. And it, yeah. it, it blows away the necessity of an eternal hell. Because you yeah. keep coming back until you get it right. <laughs> I was right. going to throw that in there. That you know, throw a real monkey wrench in, but you beat me to it. You got let's let's do this. Let's do this because we do have some audience questions here. So we do. Let me bring that up and, and oh, get your guys. So we could do that. Uh, Kyrie says Tyler is on point there. Jesus would talk in parables, but concepts 
within the parable would have been understood by his audience. So my question to that is, if it's something that's such common knowledge, mm -hmm. where other than the one parable, where do we have a, you know, where do we have a par uh, explication of these ideas anywhere in the Jewish literatures uh, of the time? of an afterlife with a hell and Abraham's bosom and all these ideas, if it is common knowledge, you know, mm -hmm. if, if I want to hear about Ontario, I don't have to find one Canadian who knows about Ontario and makes one statement about it, right? There's multiple, multiple sources that mm -hmm. should be able to tell me this. So would you consider so, Enoch a source? Uh, Enoch, that's interesting. I, I've not read Enoch. I, I oh, know very little about it. I know that uh, Christians booted it out of the Bible. You know, they, they didn't consider it authentic. Mm, <laughs> tomato, tomato, you know, give or take how you want to look yeah, at that. But I don't but, know. Yeah, yeah. That's, you see, that's that's a whole other problem I have is there's a presumption that every book in the Bible is should be in the Bible and that the books that aren't in the Bible shouldn't be in the Bible. But these decisions were made by fallible human beings over several hundred years. And um, actually, I think the Bible wasn't hammered down until the 1300s, right? Which books exactly were going to be in? Well, it was a little earlier than that um, because there we have some, I think, what well, council was it? Was it the Fourth Ecumenical Council? And that was in the 400s i think oh, 451 400 years is a long time that that addresses between it between us and shakespeare right well so. here's the thing too omar and this is something del and i've been discussing so uh -huh. if you talk about orthodox right we have a different canon than protestants do roman mm -hmm. catholics have a different canon than orthodox and protestants and protestants have a different canon than orthodox and roman catholics mm -hmm. so that's a topic that i've been really diving into lately uh, but, whenever it comes to Christians in the canon, uh, Enoch is Enoch not a more recent book? No, uh, no, Enoch. So Enoch was found in the Dead Sea Scrolls, and that's right. why I we mean, the, the considering of the dating of when it was written is it not considered to be the most recent or one of the most recent, you know, books of the Old Testament from the no. Old Testament? Time? No, like, we have so like the yeah, we have the assumption of Moses that's dated later, we have uh, the apocryphal books uh that are dated later and what i mean by apocrypha is not tobit or things like that but uh the assumption of moses the apocalypse of elijah things like that are dated much much later i think enoch off the top of my head and fact check me on this but i think the earliest so the book of the watchers is dated to around i want to say second century bc that's that's well as far as the old testament goes that's very more recent right so old testament as the old testament goes well of course right yeah we're right, not talking right. so you know that is rep what's 10th century Enoch bc or anything is representing a later development in jewish thought right but i thought you said at the around the time of the new testament i thought that's what no i then that's not i might have been mistaken oh i don't think i said that no okay. i was trying to say that in as far as old testament books go it is a newer book okay right no right right but you're talking about the uh, concept of a spiritual afterlife, right? Correct. That's and what I so, thought you so was... that e Enoch would represent a development over older books of the New Testament, which just talked about this hazy shield. Sure, of course. You know, and that's what I that's so, why I that, referenced Enoch is because I thought you said sources around the time of the New Testament. So my apologies. I'm oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Okay. 
yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Because I was earlier than that talking about you know Jesus and and saying what other sources were there around that time right. that had this idea. That's true. Right. That's true. Okay. okay, so here's a question, Joe Marino. So he he was hey. one of the ones who hey. uh, requested this, and Omar, you know Joe, you're you're up to date with Shroud Research there. So mm -hmm. uh, look, uh, so I totally agree with him. By the way, I think this, Joe, but. He asked you guys, does anyone think that Jesus used fire metaphorically? Uh, Entirely he... possible. Entirely possible. I don't see why not. Because, again, this brings and it brings the problem of the traditional Jewish view of soul and body and the Greek view. And you never can really quite get away from this. But here we are in the physical world with physical bodies like Joan of Arc that can be lit on fire and burned up, right? Mm -hmm. But in the afterlife, what is fire? Fire is oxidation, man. I mean, fire is, is rapid oxidation. We, we know what fire is. It's not one of the four forces of nature. We know what a fire is. Yeah. So when you're in the spiritual realm outside of the material physical world, well, what is even the meaning of fire? Mm -hmm. It doesn't even exist there unless, you know, you want to have a, a, a non-physical analog. So that's the problem with trying to talk about an afterlife, right? Is, is it, it, we're just so bound by the circumstances and the physical conditions of the world. It's what we know. All right. All right. No, I and just so I would throw my input in there. So I think given the concept that we have a bodily resurrection that seems to be not only affirmed in the Old Testament, whether you want to believe that that's sure, you know, sure. only saints or, you know, universal resurrection, we do see a concept of the universal resurrection in the New Testament. And so in some sense, to answer Joe's question, huh? I, I could see now, don't get me wrong, this wouldn't surprise me one bit if the fire that Jesus is describing is literal because of Matthew 10, 28, right? They throw or be afraid of God who destroys both body and soul in Gehenna, right? Like David pointed out. And so I wouldn't be surprised. And I hope Omar didn't just run off. Like maybe got no, disconnected. He, he was frozen. So he must've gotten disconnected. He okay. So sitting there with his mouth open for a few minutes there. So yeah, yeah. he might be back, but, uh, but I would, so just, I say that to say this, it wouldn't surprise me one bit if the fires of hell are literal, but I do seem to take this, you know, more metaphorically uh, than I would literally. But like I said, I wouldn't be surprised if there's an aspect of that literalness uh, to hell and Gehenna. Okay. All right. Last one again from Joe Marino. Um, Thanks so for the question, Joe. Yeah. He, he says he prefers annihilationism right. over eternal conscious torture oh omar's was back. it me that cut out or was it you guys it was Possibly. you that you that okay, cut. it was me oh, we, we were just talking behind your back a little bit but yeah nothing, nothing big don't worry <laughs> <laughs> uh so so yeah omar here's here's joe's net last question here so uh -huh. he agrees with you guys uh boo uh, i prefer an islandism <laughs> over hey i said i'm still leaning <laughs> well you know, you know the, way, the way he's written it here i agree with him actually uh, annihilationism Whoa. is better than eternal conscious torture Nobody believes in torture. Mm. That's Dante's Inferno, right? Okay. But uh, anyway, so he prefers that. But given the existence of opposites, hot, cold, left, right, up and down, um, you know, the, the Bible, there's no lukewarm. There is this you're either with me or against me type 
type thing, right? So if there is a heaven, it seems there would have to be this hell. There would have to be its yeah, opposite. I think the duality and the opposites really can be said to only exist in the material world. I mean, dualism is is caused by uh, it, it's it's a product of our imperfect senses in the material world and our imperfect minds and our inability to grasp, you know, uh, things. And you can kind of be Hegelian about it and say, okay, well, take uh, hot and cold. That's fine. Well, how about temperature? Now you don't have hot and cold anymore. You've synthesized the opposites. So you keep synthesizing all the opposites and eventually you wind up with is but, you know, from our perspective, but if you cross through the threshold to a spiritual reality, if there is one, then uh, those opposites may all exist in a state of harmony. So there's not right. these hard opposites like we have. Um, right. But the question I wanted to ask Tyler was, so um, <clears throat> if it's not a nihilism mm -hmm. um, and you believe in the glorified afterlife on Earth, mm -hmm what happens to all the bad people? Where do they go? Do they get sent to Australia? I mean, what happens? So what happens is Canada actually breaks off and it goes and isolates itself up there by Iceland. See, it's and like I said yeah. it's escaped from New York. They put up a big wall and they, they catapult them all over on big wily coyote catapults yeah. and, and send them into Canada. So, yeah. You know, so it becomes escape from from Canada. And I just say that because Dell lives in Canada and he's already in hell up there. So but to be honest, Omar, I don't know. Um, okay, I, 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 I don't know. So what I do know. So let me say this and maybe we can both think about this. So okay. what Isaiah says really, really gets me right. Like mm -hmm. it, it gets me fired up thinking. So Isaiah says in the last chapter of his book, verse 22, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain from new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath. All flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And now this is the verse that gets me thinking. Verse 24, and they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me, for their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh and so now granted the prophecy as i'm sure you well know sometimes has this dual meaning right they have a meaning that impacts the people of isaiah's day right whoever isaiah is writing to there's some way in this prophecy is going to be fulfilled in his time if not a little bit later right the historic uh aspect of it there's also this concept that christians affirm that they has a more fulfilled concept like for example the uh, messianic prophecies about jesus right mm -hmm. uh, some of them referred to hezekiah as well as jesus ultimately fulfills them so i take this passage as that now what that means i don't know but what i can tell from this passage is there is some sense in which maybe we'll be able to see this transpiring whatever this is uh, the reason I lean more toward annihilationism is because of what Isaiah says, the dead bodies of these people. Jesus mm -hmm. quotes this passage multiple right. times, I think, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if, I, or if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. uh, it might just be the synoptics. But there is references to this passage whenever Jesus is talking about the afterlife. And so I look at that, I look at this, and I think, maybe I got some more thinking to do about this. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of, I, I don't know if that sufficiently answers that question. Can you start reading um, that one again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, just tell me where to stop. So okay. verse uh, in in uh, verse 24, you mean? Isaiah, that you just quoted. Yeah, that you just read. You want me to quote the whole thing? Or... Yeah, just start from the beginning. I'll stop you soon. 
Okay, for as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. From new moon to new moon and from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And uh, they shall... Yep. All flesh shall come to worship before me. Mm -hmm. Does not not contain some kind now i'm not saying i'm one of these but does yeah. not not contain some kind of a uh a universalism to it as in wicked and uh is it all believers flesh? i mean i think it's i think it's pretty clear all flesh but who's the dead bodies that he quotes Good in the question. very next passage i don't know but he does say all flesh he doesn't say the flesh of the people who love me of course not all flesh right and then right. there's another implicit question in there What's up with the new heavens? The new earth part I get, but the new heavens, why does God have to recreate heaven? So Job says that even the heavens are not clean in his sight, right? And if you're familiar with ancient Near Eastern literature, um, you have this concept. So Michael Heiser uh, does really good work on this. And who else? Um, I can send you some stuff on this, but there's this concept of, actually, you see this concept in First Kings, I think it is, uh, where we get, a kind of a background view of what's going on in heaven. And you might be familiar with the story whenever I talk about it. So Ahab, uh, God, we see the divine council scene or what I think is the divine council scene mm -hmm. and God's pondering, how, how are we going to deal with Ahab? And a lying spirit comes up to him and says, look, I will go be a lying spirit in the mouths of his prophets. And this is how, are you familiar with that story? Mm -hmm. no. Okay. All right. It, it's in first Kings. I forget exactly where, uh, okay. But anyway, long story short, this, this whole idea of Satan, right? right. In Hebrew, I uh, what is it? If, the accuser. The yeah, the adversary, the accuser. I forget. I guess in, in Greek, it's rendered satana. Um, yeah. But I, I forget no, the, I Hebrew think that's word the Hebrew word for it. I think that's the Hebrew. Actually. It might be in uh, the yeah, Greek. Just I, 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 just read, I was just reading about it recently, too. Um, okay. Is that the term, yeah, is it, Satan is derived from the Hebrew word that means the accuser or, you know, right. right. And that he was part of the council. And mm -hmm. uh, I believe that as Satan, I thought he only came up in Job. And he came up in Job to say, hey, you know, of course, this guy is your favorite. And let's let's really test him. And God says, OK, fine. Let's go ahead and do it. I give you the authority yeah. to do it. But they're kind of working together mm -hmm. on Job. Right. It's not that he is the traditional uh, idea of Satan that we have of the fallen angel. Right. Also in Zechariah, uh, this adversary is mentioned accusing Joshua. Mm -hmm. And so there's that concept. So that's what I take this to mean is the heavens are not clean in his sight. There's the, these Satans, these accusers are constantly coming before God to accuse his righteous people of sin. And so that's, have they not all been cast out already by this point. Good question. Depends on what we mean by Satan. Mm -hmm. So um, I, if you're familiar with the Lord of Spirits podcast, uh, father, that, that was the other people I was trying to think of. So father, um, Andrew Stephen Damick and Father Stephen DeYoung. Uh, it's kind of like Michael Heiser, but Orthodox version. And so they talk about uh, this stuff as well. I, I can send you some links uh, where they discuss this concept. Okay. So yeah. if you're interested. Sure. But, but where were you going before that? You were talking about uh, Ahab. Oh, I was just saying that that's kind of the thing. So this lying spirit in the uh, heavens, right? In, mm -hmm. in oh, God's it makes throne. the heavens unclean and God has to remake the heavens. Right. That won't be happening in the new heavens and the new earth. Mm -hmm. but so. then again yeah dale disappeared i know right so i feel yeah. kind of 
Dell, what are you doing? Do you want me to close down the show or? <laughs> I wonder if he, if it's connection. There he is. Oh, there he is. He's back. I'm back. All right. Cool. Yeah. So, all right. Um, yeah. So just to answer. So one source, Joe, that answers a lot of your questions, a great source by Gary Habermas and JP Moreland called Beyond Death, exploring mm. the evidence for mortality. It refutes annihilationism, universalism, stuff like that. And it also talks about the metaphor of fire. Also, another metaphor that never gets brought up in these hell talks is darkness. Darkness is another metaphor mm -hmm. um, for hell and stuff like that, right? And they kind of say, well, obviously, those two can't be literal. If you have fire, you have light. So uh, I think that it is uh, a metaphor when it mm -hmm. uses the, these type things. But that's all I wanted to say. But um, yeah. So since you shared something, Dale, let me share something real quick. And this is Chris Date approved. <laughs> all right. he Chris says this is the best book about the traditional view of hell and arguing for it. And so let me just share hmm. my screen. Uh, Chrome tab right here. It's called Hell Under Fire. And it is written not by one person, not by two, but a plethora of authors. Let me see if I can just uh, bring up a bigger picture also of it. <laughs> yeah, right. So, so Greg Bill, Daniel Block. Oh, where'd it go? Um, Sinclair B. Ferguson, uh, Albert Moeller Jr., Douglas Moo, one of my uh, favorite um, New Testament uh, scholars. Chris Morgan, J.I. Packer, Robert, uh, I can't read that, Petram, I think. Peterson. And then Robert Yarborough. Mm -hmm. Do what, Dale? Nothing, nothing. Uh, so if you, if any of our listeners want a, the, like I said, Chris Date said this is the best book on the traditional view of hell. Uh, this is the book to get. I've got it on Audible, and I found it absolutely fascinating. Mm. So, All right, awesome. Well, yeah, thank you very much for a great talk. I think uh, Omar and Tyler kind of dominated that. Uh, so sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Yes. That's totally fine. I don't care for me as the host. I'm happy to step back. Uh, I just hope David felt he got his fair say as well. But yeah, yeah um, I feel kind of bad. Yeah, because I mean, there was times where I was waiting to hey, jump in, jump in, and he didn't really yeah. that that often. But what he said was prescient. I mean, he made good points. You know. Yeah. And um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Cool. So thank you so much. Um, obviously, for the audience tomorrow. We have the show on the the alcohol. Um, is it okay to be a drunk like David Russell? Or should we... <laughs> <laughs> sorry, David, you got me on that one, dude. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> or should you be uh, drinking milk from a bag like a good Canadian, innocent little Canadian like myself? Just drink water. You'll always be safe. They only drank wine because their water was contaminated. Come on. Well, there you go. <laughs> they diluted their water with wine. So <laughs> there you go. Awesome. So so yeah. Have have a great week and. And right, yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Obviously, Omar and David and, and Todd. Huh? I said it was great. That's all I said. Awesome. All right, cool. Yeah, so they'll be back and have a great week. It was a pleasure right. to meet you, Omar. Oh, it was great to meet you too, Tyler. All right, Dale. Thanks again. All right.